You're listening to the Jewel City Podcast. Make sure to rate the podcast and share with your friends. You can join us in person Sundays at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. We have something for all ages or online at 10 a.m. Make sure to check out our live groups or small groups. Make sure you join us April 10th for the Palm Sunday celebration. Worship starts at 10 a.m., followed by food, inflatables, and an Easter egg hunt with a plane dropping the eggs. May 1st at 6 p.m., the Isaacs will be with us. You can get tickets at jccwv.org slash Isaacs or call the general office. In this podcast, we're going to hear a message from our student pastor, Pastor Eric Miker. I don't know if anyone was here the last time I spoke, but there's this stink bug that likes to follow me around and we like to fight. I mean, did somebody set that on my mic? (laughs) Stay away. Brian Freeman said you could come hang out with him. (sighs) Didn't the youth do an amazing job? I I had the chance to walk around a little bit before in between because they did such a good job in rehearsal, and I saw kids out there at hospitality. I saw greeters. I saw parking lot people. There's kids in Kids Cove every week. They're upstairs. They're on the cameras. Um, It encourages us old people. I'll put myself into the old people category to see you young people um, allowing God to work through you and use his gifts and talents. So if you see them today on the way out, thank them for being a part. And if you're here and if you have students, high school, middle age, middle school aged, um, get them involved. We want, we want to see them find ways to serve and find ways to be used for the kingdom of God. Um, I want to go back to that last song in Jesus name. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus and his disciples, that's what we've been talking about in youth week in and week out. It's kind of leading up to Easter Where was Jesus? What was he doing? Where were the disciples? Where were they hanging out? Izzy, if you have that picture, I think some of us are familiar with this picture. We talked about the Last Supper. So here they are, right? Nice group of uh, people. A lot of stuff going on in that picture. Some of you may have seen that before. But then there's Jesus. You think the disciples ever prayed in his name when he was there with them? Did you ever think about that? That kind of stuck out to me in this first section of scripture that I'm going to read that came from this time when Jesus was with his disciples in John chapter 16. It says, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. And that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. So if you're familiar with the Gospel of John, Jesus has been speaking to his disciples and telling them that he goes to prepare a place. He does all of these things that he has to do, but he understands that they don't get it fully. At this point, he's, he's one of them. They understand he's special. They understand he's the leader. They understand before him they weren't able to perform miracles and the things that they are doing, but they didn't fully get it. And what Miranda, I had no clue what Miranda was going to share. 
But what she shared with you is that when you get it, it can help you overcome the things in this world that the enemy wants to use to keep you back. When he says the fullness that your joy may be full, that's what he's talking about, that union with him. In that union with him, things that might make us appear weak or might give us less of a chance for success on this earth, the way the world defines it on this earth, we're going to talk about that this morning, the way the world defines peace and the way that Jesus defines peace. We're going to talk about how he says, peace I give you, not as the world gives peace, and what that difference is. Had Miranda listened to the voice of her earthly father, things would be much different. But she has heard from her heavenly father. And some of us adults, myself included, can learn and can grow from that testimony and from that example. The father wasn't willing to let the rejection of his son be the end of the story. Just in this picture alone, right, we see how the world defines peace. I assume Peter with the sword defines peace through power. I assume Judas with the bag of silver defines peace through profit. How many times have we seen that in the world? Right? We think our peace comes with a certain salary. Our peace comes with a certain acceptance. Our peace comes with a certain position. Jesus is saying that peace can lead you astray apart from full unity with the Father, right? Do you think it's easy as the Father, like this is his son, to see people rejecting his son who is perfect? Do you think that would be easy? How many people in here have kids? Do you guys like it when people mess with your kids? No, I've seen some of your Facebook posts. You do not like it, right? Little Johnny didn't get in the game, and he's the best player. Little Sammy's foot was in bounds. How do I know? Because I do it. I think all the same stuff, like, my kid should have won, and you know it. But what if our kid was perfect, and he loved us, and he wanted to tell everyone about a perfect love, and for that reason, he was put on trial, and he was killed. But yet, the father chose, even knowing that, he chose to send him for us, right? For you, for me. He went a step further, knowing they would reject him. So much that he said, I willingly will give my son's life so that you might have access to me. That's what Jesus is saying when he's saying, I will not just go on your behalf. I will do something which you don't understand that will give you direct access to the Father. This union that I have with him will be made available to you through this sacrifice. That's what he's saying to them. All this stuff that you guys are fighting about, I assume John is like, you know, Jesus loves me the most. Just recently they had had a fight and an argument over who was the greatest among them. They were no different than you and me. And Jesus understood that, and he dealt with that. So Christ said, peace I give you, not as the world gives you peace. So where does Christ get his peace? We see that when he was tempted in the desert, right? 
for 40 days he hadn't eaten and he's out there and he's hungry, he's physically hungry. How are you guys after 40 days of not eating? Bruce is like four hours and I'm the worst person you've ever been around. But yet, the enemy comes to him with that temptation, with that weakness and says, all of this could be yours if you just bow down and worship me. What's that? Peace through power, right? Peace through profit. I could, I'll give you all this and you can have it now. That's what sin is, right? The enemy says, I know you want this and I know you want it now. And I know you want to believe that you're better than everyone else. So I'm going to give it to you and it's going to make you feel good. That's how the enemy speaks. But when we get it, it feels good in that moment, and then it doesn't. So Jesus said, I know the words of my father. And he responded in scripture in that moment of weakness. Actually, I think Pastor Aaron spoke, and I heard some of that on a... Um, whatever we call it, podcast or whatever, about the voice of culture, right? Was that this Sunday, just this last Sunday? I didn't, I didn't get to hear the whole 30-minute thing, but I do know that the voice of culture is most often not the voice of our Father, right? When we see something good, when we see something worthy that comes up in culture, like it might make a quick blip, but it's not gonna be dwelled on. When we see something disastrous, when we see something just treacherous happen in society, it's headlines for days and for days and for days, right? And if you don't know that's true or believe that's true, just look what happened the other day at the Oscars, the Academy Awards, what happens, right? Year after year, people get awards, they do great, and they get awards and no one cares. The ratings are going down, 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 right? And then there's this like volatile marriage situation where someone's been cheating, there's an open relationship, there's all this stuff getting ready to blow up. Someone hits someone and all of a sudden, we care, right? I mean, honestly, look at ratings, look at social media feeds, look at everything. That's not how everything's defined, but I'm just saying the most prominent voice in our culture, we care about that stuff. It's important to us when something like that happens. Why? I don't know. Maybe a couple reasons. Maybe like, oh my goodness, they're rich and they're more of a mess than I am and that makes me feel good about myself so I'm going to post about it. Or it's just entertaining. Right? But it shows where our culture is. The enemy loves these moments of tension and defeat. Now there was something that good that came out of it because like everyone else, I'm investigating, seeing why and what happened. Denzel and Tyler Perry took Will to the side and were talking to him and actually speaking into his life and Denzel told him, Will, be careful when you're at your highest of highs, the enemy's coming at you and you gotta be ready. So I'm like, I wonder how the engagement with that is on social media with our younger generation because that's what I do as a youth pastor. I look, how are we engaging? What are we looking at? What are we intrigued by? And I couldn't find hardly anything from Denzel on social media. I didn't find an official Instagram. His last tweet was like during the quarantine. And anytime he would post about wisdom, there's just like a couple hundred engagements, which if you're not on social media, that's not a lot. So I'm like, why is this? So I start searching what's trending. If you don't know what I'm talking about, there's a language on social media with what's trending, with like what's getting the most hits in certain demographics and age groups. There's a rapper, and I was talking to somebody in here about him, named 
Takashi. He used to go by Takashi. Now he goes by the name 6ix9ine. Young kids, yes, I understand what that means. But the reason I'm bringing that up is he's got like 21 and a half million followers and lots of engagements. His whole front page of his Instagram post is just a disaster. It's like half naked, like 15th, 16th, if that's a fraction, naked women, just boom, 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 all on the front. Drugs, violence, weapons, the whole thing. But that's what intrigues us as a culture. And yes, young people who are sweating a little bit, I do, I can see the mutual friends of who follows him. <laughs> I didn't look at it, I didn't click on it because I didn't even want to know. But you might want to unfollow it before your mom checks. <laughs> but it was a little bit of a awakening to me that, oh my goodness, the voice of our culture, the voice of our society, the thing that most awakens us and intrigues us and gets us to speak up and to pay attention are terrible things. So the enemy knows that and he tries to use that. He tries to divide us and he always has. He tries to take non-salvation situations and make them things that we focus on our denomination, the color of our skin, the building we choose to worship in, how we're baptized, which gifts of the spirit we have and don't have. And then what we end up doing is just shouting at each other over who can be the loudest, who can be the most right. You know what that is? That's pride. That's confusion. And who is the author of the confusion? Yeah, you get a point, Team Carey. <laughs> it's the enemy. When we aren't walking in the way of unity that the Father has designed and desires for us, it grieves his spirit. A friend of mine and I were talking about this this week that the, the capital C church, the church, like everyone who calls himself a believer and follows God, just as Miranda says, if you follow him and you believe that he's the son of God, you're golden. We should do our best to be in unity with one another, right? We're gonna talk about that in a second. When they left this place, this last supper on their, on their way to the Mount of Olives, we're gonna look about what was on Jesus's heart, what was on his mind as he went to walk towards that day, towards the cross. What was on his mind? That discussion I had with my friend, we were talking about our bride, our wives, and they've had some health complications. And when we think about our wife not being whole, it saddens us, right? So Christ is returning for his bride, which is the church, the capital C church. And when we're fighting and we're not whole, I would have to imagine in my small, limited human mind that that saddens our Heavenly Father. And this idea has divided churches and councils for hundreds of years. Just on the idea of race, as early as 1818, the Presbyterians unanimously declared at the General Assembly that the voluntary enslaving of one part of the human race by another is utterly inconsistent with the law of God. Ironically, shortly after, the same assembly upheld a decision to dispose of Presbyterian minister because he held anti-slavery views. And in 1845, the General Assembly agreed that slavery was a biblical institution. 
I'm not choosing any denomination. This is literally just history, what I found in my research. And the point is, that fight of something that does not equate to salvation or holiness is something the enemy has used over and over again to divide us. And it's not the only thing. What happens when we're divided? It grieves the spirit of our heavenly father who created us all in his image. Inevitably, there are people on both sides of the fence. No matter what the division might be, if it's a human-made division that can follow fully, can believe fully, and can love God fully, And when we take any person for any reason and say, because you are this or you're that, I don't believe that you're able to be reached by God. We're outside of his will. So how do we deal with this? Because it's hard. How do I know? How can I look at someone's life? How can I see if they are a true follower of God or if they just have a form of godlessness? How do I do that? There's some ways in scripture we're going to talk about it. Um, Young people, where you're at right now in your generation, it's hard, right? Because right now the enemy has set his sights on you. Because the older people, the older we get, the more we get a pass by culture to just say, well, they're old. They're set in their ways. They grew up in a different time. We hear all these things. But young people, there's no grace for you. If you believe in God the Father, if you believe in Christianity, then you're hateful. You're bigoted, you're ignorant, you're unwise. I'm aware of this. So how do we deal with that? How do we love our neighbor as ourself, but straddle that line? You don't straddle the line. You just love God fully with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all of your understanding. And that love will be seen. It won't make it easy on you. Same in John 16. The same in John 16, he said, it's going to be hard. But take heart because I've overcome the world. Right? So this guy who is on trial for loving the Father is letting them know it's not going to be easy. I got way ahead of my notes here, so give me a second. Let's get away from culture. Let's go to another guy in this book of wisdom, the Holy Bible, who talks to us about it being hard. Paul, sitting in a Roman prison, facing death. You know what for? Serving Jesus. Serving the Father. Writing to Timothy, the guy that he's spiritually mentored of how to build a church and how to honor the Father. And this is what he says thousands of years ago. He says, In 2 Timothy 3, 1 and 5, understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. So how do we do it? The same way Timothy was supposed to do it. See what they do. 
see what they say. And if it does not match up with what the word of God says, avoid them. He doesn't say hurt them or kill them in this. He says, avoid them. So how do we do that? How do we do that? How can we make a difference? How can we be light in a darkness if we avoid them? Do we completely separate ourselves? I want you to keep that thought in your mind because we're going to look at Jesus' prayer to the Father that outlines this, of how we balance this. When he says in there, not listening to their parents, I don't think it's just about taking out the trash. I think he's talking about the godly wisdom that they've gotten from the generations before them about ignoring that is a problem, right? Because the word of God's pretty straightforward about wisdom coming through following him and with age. It even talks about these beautiful gray hairs we get being wisdom, Some of you are like, I wish it wasn't. But Let me say one quick thing about this, and then I'm going to move on. And you've probably heard this before. For those who have children in your home still, you have like 6,500 days with them before they turn 18. Each year you lose 365 days of this opportunity. It grieves me when a parent says, I don't want to push whoever away from God by making them come to the house of God. And I understand that struggle. I've got strong-willed kids. And it's not easy. And it, and it might not look exactly the same for everyone how to deal with that. But you have to understand that for a couple thousand hours a year, that kid is being indoctrinated by culture. Right? Especially now if they have a phone. Now, look at their screen time. You're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of hours every year they're being indoctrinated by culture. Not to mention the time at school or at their, wherever they go. And if you bring them here some Sundays, but not every Sunday, and maybe send them to summer camp, that's about 50 hours a year. So one voice in their life is going to be louder and have their attention more. When I grew up, I couldn't get on the internet and like, listen to every YouTuber tell me anything they wanted to tell me. I had to put in a CD-ROM or a floppy disk, and it took me four hours to download seven seconds of a Creed song. <laughs> and if someone sent me a, a picture, it took like 14 hours just to see the eyebrows. And I was like, it's pretty good looking eyebrows. I can't wait to see their eyelashes. But it was just different. The, the information wasn't coming in as fast as it is now. So we have to realize that. We can't just say, well, little Johnny knows the truth. How? How? I want you to think about that. Now think about the disciples. The discussion around this table. At some point, as Jesus knew he would, Judas made the decision to sell them out for 30 pieces of silver. Then there were 11. Then Jesus went on. He walked ahead. At some point after the crucifixion and the resurrection, it was just those 11. Jesus wasn't there. They, got a, they had to have looked at each other and said, 
He was so powerful, yet they took his life. Is this union, this thing he talked about with the Father, is it really that powerful if it took Jesus' life? Are we going to walk this out? Are we going to be a light in the darkness? Are we going to remain faithful even when no one else is? Because just because it's 2,000 years ago in the Bible, guys, don't be deceived. It wasn't easy, right? Men who think it's some like thing for our wives or whatever, Christianity, if we're doing it right, it's not easy. It's not something that doesn't take strength. It's not something that doesn't take boldness or a backbone. So don't be deceived. They didn't back down. And if you study their lives and you study the end of their lives, it wasn't a pretty picture for a lot of them. Some of them were on islands by themselves. Some of them were crucified in a different manner than Jesus. Some of them were imprisoned, but it wasn't easy. And he didn't say that it would be. So what was Christ's mission for them? Is it the same as it is for you and me? If we can go to the next slide. What was on Christ's mind? Go on to the next one. What was on Christ's mind? John 17. It's a prayer of three parts. If you're writing anything down or taking notes or just in your mind, what was on Christ's mind in the days leading up to his death on the cross? You were. You were. John chapter 17, I hope you were in this prayer. I was in this prayer. The disciples were in this prayer. There's a line in there that you just saw that said, as we are one. This totally encompasses Christ's mission on the cross. There was a huge chasm, which is just an uncrossable canyon between us and the Father. And Jesus knew this, and God the Father knew this. So that's why Jesus was sent to this earth, to make it possible in that as we are one, to make it possible for us to be one with the Father, with the fullness of his joy, with the fullness of his love. If you would, as we read this, John chapter 17, I would like to ask everyone who can to stand in unity as we read this prayer. I've said a lot, I've probably said too much, but we're gonna listen in our spirits to the words of Jesus. As he leaves that table, as he leaves this time of teaching with his disciples and he's going literally to the Father, he knows what he's about to face at the cross. This is what was on his mind. How good and how pleasing it is when God's people dwell together in unity. Let's bow our heads. God, we thank you for your word, God. We thank you for the ability to freely read your word together. God, I thank you for the gift that your son Jesus gave us with his life. God, as we pray this prayer that he prayed for us, let us receive it. Let it change us. 
Amen. John chapter 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give him eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed." I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth, and you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, and they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved me even as you are loved, as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. What is Jesus doing right here? He's interceding on our behalf. What is Jesus doing right now? The word says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right now, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. For you. For me. So why do I care that we put forth our best effort for unity? Because Jesus says it shows the world the Father's love. God requires it. Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus And four, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness 
of Christ. Do you see how we keep seeing the fullness of joy, the fullness of Christ, and within it, every thread of unity? And now Jesus says, for them to be one as we are one, that unity brings fullness and it brings restoration. Just as we saw in Miranda's testimony. As Pastor Kerry begins to play, think about that moment. Do we have the word? Do we have one? Think about that moment that Jesus is talking about with his father. He said, from before the foundations of time, you and I were together, we were one. Do we ever even stop to think that there was a time that existed before we were there? And it was perfect. And it was holy. How do I know? John chapter one says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Someone needs to hear that today that the darkness has not overcome it. Take heart for I have overcome the world. He knew that we needed to hear that. That's why he said it. He knew they needed to hear that while he was still there with them. He knew 2,000 years later we would need to hear that. So when we can walk in that unity, when we can walk in that love, when we can walk in that power, the world will see true love. And the world needs true love. Jesus has prayed that we would be protected as we face the evil one. So young people, I don't care where you go to college. I don't care where you go to high school. You will be protected like Miranda is protected if you know the Father. None of us grew up in a perfect situation. But those of us who have a perfect union with the Father can make it through anything. That's what it means. That's what it means, 413. We slap it everywhere. It means when things are bad, when I'm in prison, when I'm in chains, when I'm shipwrecked, when I don't see a way out, I can do all of this stuff with Christ who gives me strength. When my diagnosis says I can't, that union with the Father says I can't, right? Think about that moment. Just Jesus and the Father. None of our stuff. None of our fears, none of our doubts, none of our hurts. That's why he's coming back. He wants us to be there in that moment. And he can do that. If we follow him fully and we believe. Let's bow our heads.
this first chance to respond is for the Christian who realizes they've stepped away from that unity, that source of power, that source of strength has become distant. And you know today you need to respond to the Father by saying, I know that I need that fullness of joy, that fullness of Christ in my life. I'm returning to you, forsaking the world. Strengthen me, God, as I return to you. If that's you and you know you need to make that declaration today, if that's you with everyone's eyes closed and heads bowed, would you just raise your hand and say, I need to be close to the Father. now a response to the Spirit of God for the person who has never seen that moment with the Father as something they needed in their life. And you know that you know that you know this morning, not by what I've said, but what the Spirit of God has said to you as he's drawn you to himself. If you know that today you need to decide that Jesus Christ is your Lord and he is your Savior and you need that union with him for the first time, even if you raised your hand before, if that's you making that decision to follow Christ today, would you just raise your hand? Raise your hands high so that we can see. Oh, praise God, praise God. Anyone else back there? Keep your hands raised if you would so we can know to pray for you. We have people who would like to pray with you. If you made that decision today, in the Welcome Center, as you leave, in between the doors, there's a Connect card you can fill out so one of us pastors can call you and pray with you and get you plugged in so you can know more of the truth of His Word that sets us free, that gives us strength, and gives us power. That's why we want to talk to you. This altar is open. I've asked Pastor Kerry to just lead us in a chorus, and let's just pray. Let's just thank Him for His presence in this place this morning. God, we thank you. Thank you for listening to the Jewel City Podcast. Make sure to rate the podcast and share with your friends. You can join us in person Sundays at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. We have something for all ages or online at 10 a.m. Make sure to check out our live groups or small groups. 